Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am Garrett Bahanna, joined, as always, by Hooks Orpik himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Ready for the preseason to be about over and get going here. Yeah, so this is this is an exciting time, as always. Start of the regular season, start of Penguins hockey once again. And really, if you think about it, it couldn't come at a better time seeing how the, the Pirates season is wrapping up and what a disaster that's been from start to finish. And the Steelers are currently 0-3. Uh, it doesn't look like there's much hope in sight with them. And everyone's looking towards the Penguins as being the the, the savior of the city for the for the remainder of hockey season. So I'm hoping that the Penguins can deliver and, and put out somewhat of an entertaining product on the ice this year compared to uh, the unfortunate end that was last year's season. Right, yeah, city needs a, a pickup for sure, and and the Penguins they start slow most years it seems like, and this year hopefully they don't do that because I know everybody in Pittsburgh we need something to cheer for and something to go right for once. So hope, we'll see if this will be in the Pens. So this is a little bit of a preseason esque episode, still trying to shake the rust off of uh, the the summer layover that we've had. So what we're going to do in this episode. Uh, first and foremost, we're going to talk about the Metropolitan Division and the opponents that the Penguins are uh, going to face most frequently. Obviously, they're division opponents. What Jim and I are going to do is pick two teams that we're going to discuss in the Metropolitan Division. We're going to pick a team that is not on everybody's radar, but we think should be on everybody's radar. And we're also going to pick a team that we, th- we think may not do so well or uh, may not do so hot as early season projections may claim that they will. Uh, so, Jim, do you want me to start out in talking about my Metropolitan Division picks? Do you want to start? Why don't you take it? Who's, who's your team that you think will outperform expectations or is at least someone to keep an eye on this year in the Metro? I think the team that is most likely to outperform expectations and maybe sneak into a playoff spot uh, is the uh, New York Rangers. And even Rangers fans might look at me and say, oh, well, back off there. The, the, the rebuild, the rebuild, the rebuild isn't complete. I understand that. But I also look at this Rangers roster, and I, I look at the rebuild that they've been going through the last couple of seasons, and it's really been an accelerated rebuild, at least in my opinion. And I think what backs that up is the offseason that they've had. The, the, the big fish that they went out and signed was Artemi Panarin. They draft Capo Caco, who looks to be an immediate threat, most likely in that top six. They have Mika Zabinajad, who I've, I've always liked to watch at center. They have a bunch of young guys. They have Capo Caco, Pavel Buchnevich, uh, Ryan Strom, Lias Anderson, still looking to prove himself. On the defense, they go out and acquire Jacob Truba from the Jets. They have Anthony D'Angelo, who I really like as a player and really hasn't proved himself yet as an NHL-worthy defenseman. And last and not, not last and not least, I think Henrik Lundqvist, Henrik Lundqvist still has quite a bit to prove. I was reading an article last night that I posted for Penn's Points, and it, it was talking about Henrik Lundqvist's desire to not hang it up yet. You would think 37-year-old Henrik Lundqvist, who has lived through quite a few regi- regime changes in New York, would just be ready and contempt to to call it a career at 37. You know, there's really not much left for him to accomplish in his career. And 
the the gist of the article I was reading was no, it's quite the opposite. Henrik Lundqvist wants to stay here for this youth movement. He wants to stay here for the future. And according to Lundqvist, the future looks bright. I agree with Lundqvist. I think looking at this influx of youth, especially in the forward groups, they have a lot of young, young skilled guys. And just judging by the, the kind of hockey that the players that they have acquired want to play, I think this is going to be a fast and skilled team who may surprise a lot of people. I don't think they're a complete package just yet. And I think Rangers fans will agree they're not a complete package just yet. But this is a team that I think can really be a dark horse candidate. And if they stay healthy, find a way to sneak into the postseason, maybe as a wild card team. Flipping the switch, looking at a team that I don't think will do so hot, and everybody seems to be behind them nowadays, is that lovable bunch of jerks down there in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, looking at the, the Carolina Hurricanes roster construction, and the reason why I picked the roster, the, the Hurricanes, uh, compared to the New York Rangers, um, I'm just not so sure that the roster construction of the Hurricanes screams long-term success. So the, the, the Hurricanes go out and acquire Nino Niederreiter from the Minnesota, um, yeah, the Minnesota Wild. They have Andrei Sveshnikov, who really turned it on last year as a rookie. He's going to be a star. Jordan Stahl is still there. Tebu Teravainen to really round out that top six. And then I, I look at the defense, and the defense has always been something that the Hurricanes have prided themselves on, and they've always gone out of their way to stockpile defensive talent. Uh, Jakob Slavin, Dougie Hamilton, Jake Gardner, they acquired on a cheap contract. They have young, I think, 22-year-old Hayden Fleury still there. And just recently, the uh, the St. Louis Blues and Carolina Hurricanes um, conducted some trade business where the St. Louis Blues sent Joel, defenseman Joel Edmondson to the Carolina Hurricanes for Justin Falk. Uh, looking at that trade on the surface, I think Justin Falk, I, I think the St. Louis Blues win that trade by acquiring Justin Falk. And the Hurricanes are, come out on the, uh, the, lower, the lower end of that deal, taking in Joel Edmondson. Joel, Joel Edmondson has historically been uh, a bottom six, def- or a, yeah, bottom six defender who really hasn't lived up to his hype. I think he's more of a rough and tumble kind of grittier defenseman. And it was really kind of I, I, I know why Carolina made the trade. They wanted to get out of uh, Justin Falk's contract situation. They probably weren't going to re-sign him, and that's exactly what St. Louis did as soon as he was acquired to, uh, by St. Louis. They offered him a seven-year contract extension, I believe. So the, the defense is kind of iffy for me. Can they put it all together finally? Uh, you know, can the storm surge celebration be a little bit more than a, a bunch of players having fun in an organization that for the last decade or so really hasn't had any relevance? C- can they finally bring it all together and become a competitive team in the Metropolitan Division? I'm not so sure I'm sold on them just yet. And lastly, to to end my point, Looking at the the, the goaltending situation between my two teams, between the Rangers and the Carolina Hurricanes, the Rangers have an established superstar in Henrik Lundqvist, whereas the Carolina Hurricanes have kind of been dealing with this revolving door of netminders from Cam Ward to Scott Darling. Now they have Peter Mrazek and James Reimer as the two main netminders in 
in Carolina. I, I'm not so sure that these netminders can really take the take the the load over a full game season. Are these guys, you know, especially Peter Mrazek, you would think Mrazek is probably going to be the starter and Reimer will be the backup. Is Mrazek, can he really take a, a starter's load for an entire season? Has he really proven himself to be a competent NHL starter? I'm not so sure. I don't know. I don't know about that one. But those are two teams that I think people should be looking out in the Metropolitan Division for, but for opposite reasons. So with that being said, Jimmy, I'll flip the conversation over to you and your two teams that people should be paying attention to in the Metropolitan. Well, I definitely agree with you on on the goaltending point. And the Rangers, too, have a top goalie prospect, Igor Shesko. Turkin, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's regarded really, really highly. So even if Lundqvist flaunt, flounders a bit or shows his age, I think they have options there. And Carolina really doesn't. So to me, I, I think that's a big difference that that people are overlooking right now. So we'll see how that works out. Um, my predictions don't tend to go so good. So maybe I'll have some anti-reverse jinx here. But I honestly do think right now, at least compared to the talk that or the buzz that seems to go around, the team that I'm looking at to make a playoff push or kind of surprise is the Philadelphia Flyers, believe it or not. So I don't know if I'll get kicked off our own podcast for saying that, but it's sacrilege here. I, yeah. I that's bad. Um I don't like the Kevin Hayes contract in terms of what they're paying him. But to add him down the middle is really going to help because he's a, a solid center and they were really missing that piece down the middle of their lineup. So to add him to Couturier and that gives Nolan Patrick on the third line a little more a little more breathing room. So I like that. Um, the Flyers have pretty good wingers with Giroux, Voracek, James Van Riemsdyk, who will be healthier maybe this year, Travis Konechny. So they have, they have a good top line crew. Defensively, I know they got bashed. They brought on Matt Niskanen in a trade, and Niskanen's had really two bad seasons in a row for the Capitals before this. He's 32 years old now, so you know you you don't know how much he has in the tank or if he's slowing down. But I think a change of scene could be good for him. They also brought on Justin Braun, who again a defensive defenseman. So I a lot of people are knocking that, but those are two veteran guys to go with their young core of guys like Provoroth and Gostas Bear and Travis Sanheim. So I think that type of, of mix might be good for them. And then there's Carter Hart and goal who might finally be the answer. So Philadelphia hopes we'll still see. I mean, I don't think he's a Vezina guy, but he's certainly better than Brian Elliott and all the clowns they usually have in net. So I like the flyers, like maybe to finish third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in that mix. Maybe they can surprise people. So I will choose them as my team that kind of a little bit under the radar right now. I, I don't see them, you know, going on a run or winning playoff rounds or anything crazy here, but I think they might be all right. And conversely, the team that I don't like to do well, and I don't think they're getting a ton of buzz, but to me, I think the New Jersey Devils are a lot like the 2005-2006 Pittsburgh Penguins. And the reason I say this is they're bringing in a number one overall pick, franchise center, a small kid, playmaker, a lot of excitement around them. 
So that's your Jack Hughes for the Devils or Sidney Crosby back in the day for the Penguins. And then they also brought in a number one defenseman who everyone thinks is just going to write them so much and help help out. And that would be P.K. Subban, of course, now. And that compares to the Penguins back in the day with Sergei Gonchar. And then the Devils brought in a power forward. He's kind of fading in Wayne Simmons. And that's like the Penguins bringing in John LeClaire. So I see a lot of uh, similarities between the Devils team now and that Penguins team that just tried to load up and throw a bunch against the wall and see what would happen. And the Pens were, I think, the second to worst team in the league that year. So it didn't work out for Pittsburgh. Maybe it'll work out better for Jersey, but I just think they have more building to do. They need more up front. Their race has been rebuilding their defense, but I think they need more. And they're also a team with goaltending issues. Corey Snyder's been all over the place. And beyond that, they don't have a lot proven in net. So New Jersey for me is the team that I think by the end of the year isn't really in the playoff race in the Metropolitan Division. Really, really interesting selections here for these two teams because I'm looking at the projected lineup right now for the Flyers. And that Flyers top six, you know, as you were alluding to, it really, it's no joke. I mean, Giroux, Couturier, and Konechny projected on line one. Van Riemsdyk, Hayes, down the middle again, and Jakub Borachek to round out that top six. I mean, if those guys can stay healthy, that top six has potential to keep them afloat for, for quite a while. And looking at the, the, the defense of the Flyers, Jimmy, is it just me, or is it does it feel like the last, like, three, four, five years, you know, we've been hearing so much about these. We've been hearing a lot about the Flyers blue line and the, 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 the young prospects that have come into Philadelphia's system. And they really, it seems like they haven't been able to take that next step. They haven't really been able to put themselves into like the, the, the elite category of young defensemen, such as Provorov and Shane Goss despair those are the two guys that stand out to me as the, the guys that really, they haven't really, I don't want to say panned out because I don't want, I don't want it to make it seem like these guys are busts because I think that Provorov and Gostaspare have a lot of talent and can provide a cornerstones. They can be cornerstones on that Philadelphia blue line, but may, you know, maybe this is the year that Provorov aligned with Niskanen, a defensive presence, a veteran defensive presence, like you said, and Braun with Goss to spare, uh, another defensive defenseman, veteran presence. You know, maybe this is the year that this defense figures it out. And like you said, Carter Hart, you know, Penguins, Penguins fans have been dreading, uh, you know, they've been dreading the day where the Flyers finally come and, and um, you know, they, they have that, that white knight riding in on horseback. Maybe that is Carter Hart. We don't know yet. We don't know, like you said. I, I agree. I don't think Carter Hart's going to be winning any Vesna trophies in the near future, but if this team can put it all together, like I, I agree, I think it can be a, su- a surprising dark horse team in the Metro. And then flipping over to the Devils, the Devils, that is one, that is one spicy meat to ball, my friend, because people have been saying since free agency opened and since the draft that this is the team that really came out of nowhere. Ray Shiro, throwing everything together and hoping it'll stick. Like you said, a perfect description. And I'm looking at this forward group right now, Taylor Hall, Nico Heischer, Kyle Palmieri on that first line. Nico Heischer really hasn't figured it all out yet. Like you said, now the Devils fans are excited because they have Jack Hughes. Wayne Simmons, that power forward, 
power forward, nitty and gritty kind of presence. And Nikita Gusev is projected to, at least I would think, start in the top six. And I, I bet he'll float around. Nikita Gusev's name has been a name that's been floated around quite a bit since going back into the summer months because he couldn't work out a long-term deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. And I'm still kind of salty that the Penguins really, because their hands were tied one way or another with the salary cap issues that they were dealing with. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But I really wish the Penguins could have gone out and really, really acquired this Nikita Gusev. I'm really intrigued by him. I'll say that. I'm intrigued because he hasn't really proved himself at this level. We'll see if he can do just that for the Devils. If he can, that's going to be quite the steal, quite the young steal for the Devils. Uh, Defensively, P.K. Subban, like you said, that big all-star name on that blue line, is he going to be their savior and fix everything on that blue line? I don't know. They have Sammy Vatnin. I also like him, former Anaheim Duck. They have the young defender, uh, Will Butcher, who I also like watching a, a lot. And I agree with you, just to wrap it up, I, I don't know if the, the Devils have what it takes. Is Corey Schneider, you know, is he is he an NHL goaltender anymore? I honestly don't know. I don't know if you have the answer. I don't know if the Devils themselves have the answer, whether Corey Schneider can play in the NHL anymore. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to watch how the Metropolitan Division shakes out for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams in the middle, so there's it could go a lot of different combinations from first to eighth. Uh, I guess most people are probably assuming Columbus is at the bottom, but other than that, it, it could shake out pretty interestingly as far as just who goes where, because a lot of teams have made such aggressive moves to get better. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. And just by numbers, only three teams are guaranteed to make the playoffs, maybe four with the wild card, maybe even five with the wild card, but, that's it. So it should be a very competitive division and very interesting stuff. And we'll just have to see how it unfolds this year. Let's switch gears and and talk about a subject that a lot of fans always love to talk about. They always love talking about trades for the Penguins and where they have to be before the regular season starts. They have to be under the salary cap. Currently, I think they're three hundred dollars to $400,000 over the salary cap. Jim Rutherford has really, he's come out and he said, Earlier in the summer, he said, I don't think a trade is going to be necessary. I don't think we're going to have to make a trade. Trade, unlikely, not going to happen. Well, recently, he switched his tune. This is coming from Josh Yoey, who recently wrote in The Athletic that Jim Rutherford has been testing the phones within the last couple of days, and he is actively looking to ship one, maybe multiple bodies out of Pittsburgh According, according to Yoey's article, Rutherford states that the goalie market has been heating up, where, whereas it wasn't back during the draft and early free agent periods. So, Jimmy, and I believe, Jimmy, you posted something on Pennsburg within the last couple of days as well, examining scenarios that the Penguins could take in order to shed the salary to become salary cap compliant before the, uh, before the regular season begins uh, next week. So, Jimmy, let's dive into this trade speculation here. It's always fun to talk about hypothetical trades. Where, in your opinion, we'll start with you, where do you think the Penguins go from here? Who realistically will go realistically? Who do you think they're going to ship out? And we'll go, so we'll go, Where do you, in your mind, where do you think they're going to trade somebody? And in your heart, where do, who do you want to see traded? I think I know the answer to that. I think a lot of people know the answer to that. But we're going to talk about it anyway. So where do you think Jim Rutherford and the Penguins will go 
in order to get under the salary cap if a trade happens. The easiest thing for them to do would still be to pick a goalie, so either DeSmith or Tristan Jerry and demote them. And well, I mean, which they're going to probably have to do. I I don't really know if I buy Rutherford's comments that the goalie market's heating up because a couple of good goalies have been put on waivers lately, and everyone is cleared. No one, no goalies have really gotten hurt. So I don't see why anyone would acquire a goalie when they're just going to have to either waive him or a different goalie. So I I don't I don't know what he's thinking there. If he's just trying to drum up interest in the media or what, I guess we'll see. But he's going to have to do that. And then, to me, I would think kind of realistically the easiest thing to do, go with 22 players, just demote a defenseman. Most NHL practices work better with seven defensemen anyways. So that probably means in this world that Chad Ruedel's odd man out and he gets demoted to Wilkes-Barre. Um, I don't really have a problem with that. He went like four months with between playing NHL games last year. He's just kind of a guy around if you need somebody. So that shouldn't be a big deal. And that would make them cap compliant. I think that's the easiest way. Um, you could you could look for a trade to send out a forward that makes a pretty big salary like Nick Bukestad or Brian Rust. But I don't think that makes the Penguins better. And furthermore, if you look around the league, you can't you can't. I mean, you have to see what the league's doing as well. Not too many teams can pick up a $4 million salary right now and just give you a pick or a prospect. They're going to have to send, shed some salary too, which isn't going to help the Pens if they're looking to get under the cap and they got to bring back a salary near what they have now. So I, I don't see that working out. I say just go 22 and forward or 22 skaters on the roster and deal with it from there. Um, I mean, whatever we, what everyone would want, of course, would be a Jack Johnson trade, but no one's going to, I don't see anyone taking that contract again unless they're giving back something that's just as bad or worse. So I don't think that's really a possibility either. I think the best case scenario at this point is Jack Johnson doesn't play games because he's not in the top six. I think that is the path to, to hope for right now if you're a Penguins fan because he can't hurt you if he's not playing games it you know it'd be best if he wasn't on the roster at all but at this point that doesn't look very likely to me so I think they're stuck with him for a while and just do the easy way do the non-damaging way that doesn't require anyone else to make a trade and you just wave Chad Ruedel wave to Smith or Tristan Jerry whichever one you want there and then you're good to go this is a really interesting predicament that the Penguins are in at the moment and going into the preseason, going into training camp, I was of the mindset that Casey DeSmith was the unquestioned number two goaltender behind uh, behind Matt Murray. Now I'm not so sure uh, because the way that Tristan Jari has played in the exhibition season, um, you know, do the Penguins have the, the, the leeway to either send DeSmith through waivers potentially get claimed and or include him in a deal that sheds that salary and gets them under the salary cap. Uh, I'm not so sure for argument's sake. What I will say is I think the what the penguins will do is I think they're going to take it forward. I think as, as much as I don't want it to happen, I don't know why I have this gut feeling that Brian rust, he's been, talked about quite a bit in the media recently because of these floating trade negotiations and what have you. 
Brian Rust seems like a guy that to me is on his way out. I don't know why. I, I just have a feeling. If that's the case, then you're shedding three and a half million. You're obviously under the cap. But like you said, teams aren't really super willing to bring in a guy who's making three and a half, four million when most of them are really trying to shed salary themselves in some way or another. And then another scenario I heard is Brian Rust tacked on with Jack Johnson. Is Rust and Johnson shipped out maybe a, a draft pick or two to entice another team to take the bad Jack Johnson contract, um, t- just take Rust as someone who has to be sacrificed to get rid of Jack Johnson, a couple of draft picks to sweeten the pot a little bit. Is that something, is that another realistic scenario that could happen? Uh, I, I don't know about that. No, I, I know. Of- there's, there's no way. And there's, there's no team in the league has $6 million to play with like that. And exactly. no one's going to want four years of Jack Johnson. It's just, you look up and down the league, everyone is, is capped out right now, except for the teams that don't want to spend. And the teams that don't want to spend aren't just going to use what money they don't have on a bad player like Jack Johnson. So, I mean, that that's a good idea, but I mean, there's just, if, once you actually look at the, the, what people have on the books, it just, that's just, uh, there's no way at this point. This, this is the unfortunate thing. The infuriating thing is the Penguins made their bed. Now they have to sleep in it. They gave, they willingly gave Jack Johnson five years at three, 3.5. They gave Brian Rust 3.5. They, they gave Patrick Hornquist a large contract as well. This past summer, they gave Brandon Tanev 3.5 for six years. They're in salary cap hell because they did this to themselves. And it's infuriating watching from the outside because, yeah, we're not in the room every day. We're not listening to the phone calls the general manager is making every day for potential trades. But anybody really with common sense looks at these contracts and thinks, why, okay, A, why are you giving Jack Johnson? And we talk, we've talked about this. We're beating a dead horse at this point. I know, but a trade has to be made for them to get under, or not a trade, transactions at least, I should say, have to be made for them to get under the salary cap. They wouldn't be over the salary cap if they gave Jack Johnson this contract, if they gave Brian Lust this contract, if they gave Patrick Hornquist this massive contract, if they signed Brandon Tanev for six years at 3.5. They wouldn't be in the situation. They willingly did this to themselves this is it's why I think it, this is going to be detrimental to the team. You could, like you said, the most likely scenario, the 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 less pa- the the painless scenario is having Jack Johnson eat nachos in a suit from the press box for the remainder of the season. Wave Chad Ruriedel, wave a goalie, whoever it is. That's for them to de- that's for the coaching staff to decide. Is Jack Johnson the thing? The thing that I'm worried about is okay. Now now the Penguins. Let's go hypothetically. The Penguins are cap compliant. They're under the salary cap. And now Jack Johnson is sitting on sitting in the in the press box. I agree with you. I think with Jack Johnson not on the ice, it's it does less harm. Uh the Penguins are more likely to succeed because of his um his play, his declining play. But the thing that worries me is with the with the Penguins blue line being not super deep, you would think Yuso Rikula and Erica Branson, if Jack Johnson rides the pine, uh, you would think that would be the bottom, the the rounding out the top six. You would think that would be the bottom pairing, good Branson and Rikula. What happens at the first sign of injury or the first sign of 
play that isn't up to par for Mike Sullivan's standards. Why do I feel like if Jack Johnson rides the bench, that at, at, at first sign of weakness, at first sign of a mistake is made, that why do I feel like Jack Johnson is going to go back into the lineup? Why do I feel like this is going to be somewhat of a repeat of the first round series against the Islanders in April when Jack Johnson was after 82 games, Jack Johnson was finally a healthy scratch for game one. And he found his way back into the lineup for the remainder of the season, uh, remainder of the series. The Penguins uh, went down with the ship. We know how that story ended up. I, I, I just don't know if, Rutherford and company and Sullivan are going to let Jack Johnson and his $3.5 million contract the next four years sit in the press box. I would, I would love to be proven wrong, but I just don't know if Rutherford ha- can swallow his pride, take the bump on the chin and just say, okay, Jack, we're going to sit you. We're going to sit you for the foreseeable future. We're going to ride with good Branson and Ricola. Of course, that's what I want to happen. And Jim, I'm sure that's what you want to happen. That's what every Penguins fan wants to see happen. I'm just concerned that with Jack Johnson on this roster, with the Penguins being salary cap compliant, if they waive Ruedel and a goalie, that he's going to find his way back into this lineup and he's going to continue to make mistakes like we're seeing already in the preseason. He's going to score more. He's going to score more goals for the opposition by banking them off into his own goalie's net. And I, I'm, I'm just not ready for the, the mental hurdles that I'm going to have to put myself through to watch Jack Johnson on a, on a nightly basis. Yeah, you're probably right, especially because if there's an injury, he would be back in. So, I mean, yeah, it's not a perfect solution, but like you're alluding to, a perfect solution doesn't really exist because they signed him for five years and now they have to deal with that. I mean, I guess if if it was really extreme, they could waive Jack Johnson and send him to the minors, but I don't think there's any indication that they're at the point where that's really what they want to do or would be comfortable doing. So I think that's kind of a, a real pipe dream, but that's that's probably the best case scenario where he can't hurt anymore at all is if he's not even on the NHL roster and you keep Chad Ruedel and Yusuf Ricola and don't even have Jack Johnson, but I don't know if that realistically would play out. So who knows about that but yeah that that's kind of the bad thing that Jack Johnson as the seventh defenseman is an imperfect solution and certainly at some point either through injury or through performance he definitely would be playing more games and that's that's not great that's no one's ideal but that's kind of the world they live in when you sign a guy like that to a five-year deal and it's only year two and we're at our wits end as it is but you know that's that's how it goes. Uh, sw- switching gears uh, to the third topic of interest that I think Penguins fans would be interested in, looking at the the training camp preseason roster last year and the the player that exploded in everybody's eyes was Yuso Rikola, coming over from the, the elite league over in Sweden, I believe, having no prior NHL experience and having a tremendous camp and preseason to where the Penguins just could not send this guy to Wilkes-Barre. They had to play him. He had to be on this roster. Coming into this preseason, Yuso Rikola, you know, he, he is not the talk of the town at this current moment. Yeah, he's settling in in his second professional NHL season. But there's another defenseman who is 
stirring up some stirring up some buzz for himself. And that is John Marino. Currently, John Marino is hurt. He's nagging, he's dealing with some nagging injuries. But this John Marino, this this prospect that really came out of nowhere, has all of a sudden made somewhat of a name for himself in this year's training camp for the Penguins in this preseason. So, Jimmy, is it likely that we see uh, another defenseman? Maybe it is John Marino. He's dealing with injuries right now. If he gets healthy, is it likely that, that the Penguins will keep John Marino on this roster, a la Yuso Riccolo last year? If you know, if they want extra blue line depth, if Jack Johnson doesn't play, if one thing leads to another, they get under the salary cap. Is it, is, is it at all possible that a prospect like Marino finds his way to stay on the NHL roster before he gets demoted to Wilkes-Barre? Just based on the numbers and salaries involved, no. I, I don't see a path for Marino unless there's some injuries, and he's the one who looks a little banged up these days, so that's probably not in his favor either. You're right there. I mean, his, his camp has been really special. They played him. I think in the first four preseason games, which is always a sign that the coaches are liking what they're seeing and want to see more and have more time to evaluate what they've got there. And by all accounts, he's probably has been the biggest pleasant surprise of this camp. But just being right-handed with the three right-handed defensemen in front of him, they're not going to take out of the lineup at all. And Chris Letang and Justin Schultz and Eric Goodbranson. And then you've got Chad Ruedel, who has a one-way contract. And he, you know, in my perfect world, he doesn't even make the team. So I don't see John Marino making it out of camp, but I definitely think if there's an injury situation now at this point for defensemen and they need to pull somebody up from, from the AHL, depending on how it goes for him down there, I would think he's a strong candidate to be the first defenseman called up, which, you know, considering that he could have gone back to Harvard this year and played NCAA hockey and not even been in the picture. So I think it's it's very impressive what he's done just to get on the radar in a major way. But to see him making a team that has this many bodies on defense right now, I don't think, you know, I, I don't know what he could have done to make it, honestly. And I just don't see see a way, but his name's in the conversation now, which is always the where you got to start. And I think, you know, I know Elliot Friedman wrote on Sportsnet in his 31 thoughts column that John Reno is going to play at the NHL level at some time this year. And I'd have to agree there. So that, that is something we've learned this training camp that John Reno is a real prospect for Pittsburgh and he'll be someone you see sooner than later, but not immediately. At the very least, I'm excited that the Penguins finally have realistic defensive depth in the minors that they can call on. Like you said, if injury strikes, if someone's not playing up to par, if they want to give Marino a shot at the very least, because I agree with you the way it stands right now, I think the top six is set. Marino has done his part to the best of his ability and he's still here. He's still on the roster, which I mean, at this point in training camp, when we're only a week out from uh, from the regular season starting. I mean, at this point, if you're still here and in the conversation, uh, you got to be doing something right. So to his credit, you know, he's still here trying to prove himself. But in the end, I agree with you. I think the top six is set in, in a perfect world. In my perfect world, I think Yuso Ricola and Erica Branson round out the top six uh, of the defense. Either, you know, Rue Weedle is that seventh man, Johnson, whoever, whoever is that seventh man. 
so have you. And Marino finds his way back down into Wilkes-Barre. But I, I just wanted to say that this is finally a, a sign of progress. Finally, the Penguins, if they had to, can call on somebody who can play competently uh, at this level. And I'm sure, obviously, you and I both agree that he would it would do well to serve him if he got more more seasoning uh, in the AHL. But still, the, the fact remains, you know, to have a guy like Marino really come out of nowhere, like you said, he could still be playing collegiately uh, this season. But just to have him in the pipeline, him, Kalen Addison, he's uh, the uh, Penguins draft pick from uh, last season. He's still a work in progress, but he's another exciting defensive prospect coming up through the system. Just having the ability to restockpile is a positive for the Penguins, especially because the last several seasons, they haven't had draft picks, specifically first-round draft picks, to play with when they've been sent in trades all over the NHL. So if this is the route you have to take, if you have to pluck um, you know, NCAA guys, if you have to pluck guys from the Swedish Elite League, like Rikula, taking waivers on these guys who you think could help, and in that same token proving that they can play in the NHL with no prior experience is a positive for me. Jim, I think it's a, a positive all around. And I agree. I think John Marino, if he doesn't find his way in the, in the opening night roster next week, he will play at some point in the NHL this season, which is a positive in my eyes. Definitely. And Pierre, Pierre Olivier Joseph from the Phil Kessel trade, another one. So it's nice to stock up on defensemen. The Penguins didn't have a lot there. Obviously got Marcus Pedersen in a trade about a year ago. So that's one area that Jim Rutherford's done pretty well at introducing some talent in that 18 to 23, 24-year-old age range for the Pens for the future. Hopefully a couple of those guys keep panning out, keep working because yeah, um, getting good young players is they're usually pretty cost effective for the team. So that's always good. That's always a positive. And, you know, you always are searching for extra guys, fresh legs, young, hungry, all that good stuff. There's nothing wrong at all about finding guys like that. So hopefully the Pens keep finding ways to get more people like that. All right, Jimmy, we're going we're gonna to flip the script and we're going to move into a fun segment. Everyone loves a good mailbag segment. Uh, before we begin, I'd just like to send a thank you to any of the listeners who were on Twitter and submitted questions to the Pensburg at Pensburg pod uh, for this mailbag segment. Uh, for future iterations of the mailbag, we will send out uh, a tweet on the Pensburg podcast Twitter account. And we will be asking for your we will be asking for your feedback and your questions consistently throughout this NHL season. We didn't do it a lot last season as we were getting our feet under us and trying to figure out this whole podcast thing. We really appreciate the listener involvement, the, the listener uh, feedback aspect of what we're doing here on the podcast. What we're going to do, I'm going to start out by asking you a question. You're going to respond. You're going to ask me a question. I'm going to respond, and we'll keep doing that until all of these mailbag questions have been answered. I think this is going to be a fun segment. I think we can have some fun with this throughout the season. So, Jim, here is your first question. Steelers Nation VA, Steelers Nation Virginia, he writes in, how can a coach hide Johnson besides in the press box in a Wilkes-Barre Scranton if they waived him to go into the minor league system or on another team's roster? 
Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. And we pretty much talked on great detail of this already, but if he is in the lineup, how can you hide him? That's the unfortunate thing is you really can't. Jack Johnson led the Penguins last year in offensive zone start percentage. 54.4% of the time his shifts started in the offensive zone, which makes it even more depressing to consider that he was the defenseman who faced the most shots and gave up the most goals because they pretty much already were trying to hide him on the ice, give him the best situations to go out there, and it got squandered. So that that's, I think, the really depressing thing is that you can't really hide a defenseman, and when they make a mistake, it stands out so obviously and no one was on more goals against than Jack Johnson last year, so he certainly had his share of them. So I don't, I don't see how it's done except not having him on the ice at all. So that that would be my advice for the Pens there. Now our next question comes to us from at Sammy Nose, who says, "What will the deep pairings and usage look like with hopefully a hopefully healthy Schultz and Nomada, Pedersen Schultz?" Or one of those two with Latang and Dumo on the second pair? If there's one thing that I've learned from Mike Sullivan's tenure in Pittsburgh, when it comes to his defensive pairs, he hasn't gone out of his way. He specifically aligned Brian Dumlin and Chris Latang on that top pair. He relies on them a ton, and for good reason. I don't think unless multiple injuries strike to where talent has to be spread out on that blue line that you touch Dumlin and Latang at all. I think that first, that top pairing, who is probably going to be deployed with Crosby, that top pairing is untouchable. Dumoulin and Latang act like a yin and yang to each other perfectly. In that second pair, from what I've read about Marcus Pedersen's future with the, with the Penguins organization, and Justin Schultz as well, Schultz and Pedersen looks to be that top, to round out the top four, looks to be that, that's how, at least through the opening night, that's what the defensive pairings are going to be. Dumoulin, Latang, Pedersen, and Schultz. Pedersen, obviously, they got him to sign a one-year gap contract. You know, I think they're going to sign Pedersen to a long-term deal, probably post-Christmas, post-New Year. They like him that much. Um, like we were talking about before the mailbag segment, another young body to build on for the future. Schultz and Pedersen, kind of like a yin and yang as well. Pedersen, I don't want to say he's a clone of Brian Dumoulin. He obviously doesn't have the offensive instincts that um, uh, Justin Schultz has compared to on the top line that Chris Letang carries. So I think that's what that top four is going to consist of pretty much on a consistent basis. Jimmy McNutty puts down the Jameson long enough to type. Gino is 33 and coming off a quote-unquote down year. If he continues to be a point-per-game player, do you predict that the fans and media will accept the aging curve or run Gino out of town? I know who asked that question. That's why I threw in that little joke at the <laughs> beginning. Um, and my answer would be, I mean, I think even Malkin admitted that he had a bad year last year. The problem wasn't really his points, which, I mean, point per game, good, but for him, not that good. It was his mistakes. He made a lot of careless passes to the middle of the ice that got turned over. He took a ton of penalties, a ton of offensive zone penalties, penalties he didn't need to take, and just careless, careless stuff. So I think that he'd be the first one to say he has, he has more to clean up and more to offer. As far as, so, I mean, 
I don't know if anyone will accept aging curve. Um, hopefully he has a good year. He looks like he's in great shape. It looks like he's motivated. I don't think he's going to score 50 goals or win a scoring title anymore like he used to back in his prime, but he should still be an impact player. He still should be one of the best players on the ice and doing good things. So hopefully he does that. And I think he should, there's no reason why he shouldn't. And, you know, the media runs him out. I, I think the worst thing that happened to Malkin really was the comments that Rutherford made when Rutherford early in the summer didn't commit to Malkin being one of his core guys. He only committed to Crosby. So I think stuff like that would probably upset him or just miff him more than anything else at this point. So hopefully that doesn't have to happen and Rutherford will be pleased with what Malkin brings to the table. But I think Malkin needs to play well in that regard as well. Um, we'll move on to our next question from Sammy Bagel Jr. And he asks, with the top six getting so many possible forwards, who do you feel will be the ones who click with our beloved centers? So I think Jake Gensel and Alex Gauchenyuk are the two constants who will stay in that top six, stay with Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby, respectively, for the, throughout the entirety of the season. Now, Gauchenyuk may flip and flop on that first line. He may play right wing with Crosby at certain points, uh, but I don't think Jake Gensel is going to leave his left wing spot with Crosby at all. So those two guys are constants. Uh, the, now, the rest of the team, the rest of the forwards, that's a giant question mark. Um, and I think it's, I, I really do think it's going to be a question mark for the remainder of the season especially if a guy like Brian Rust gets traded in a, a potential deal for salary cap compliance. Does, does the speedy winger who they acquired in the Olimata trade in the summer, does, Dom, does Dominic Cahoon start on Crosby's right side? Uh, you're maybe, um, I know Brandon Tanev has been getting a look in the top six alongside Malkin and Crosby. Is Brandon Tanev really the answer? Um, is he really the, the speedy winger? that he is claiming himself to be, at least through his early performances. I'm not so sure. I thought they signed Brandon, Brandon Tanev to round out the bottom six instead of the top six. Uh, he can certainly surprise me uh, if he can mesh with either of the two centers. Jared McCann is another option. Um, I think he played relatively well uh, alongside Crosby, I believe, last year and has limited appearances there in the top six. Um, I think Nick, Nick Bukestad's going to be in the bottom six. I think he's going to be the third-line center. Patrick Hornquist is interesting. Uh, Jesse Marshall posted an article in The Athletic talking about line mates for Malkin specifically, and Patrick Hornquist was mentioned there. Um, Dominic Simone was mentioned there to play alongside Malkin. I can't give you a, a definite answer. What I can say is I think you're going to see a lot of mixing and matching until Mike Sullivan finds the, the thing that clicks, the thing that suits the team the thing that he thinks, the grouping that he thinks is most comfortable. What I can say for certainty, though, is Gauchenyuk and Gensel are going to be mainstays in that top six. Jumbo writes in, what happened to Zach Aston Reese? Even if Alex Gauchenyuk meshes with Gino, how do they plan on fitting Zach Aston Reese under the cap? And he asks a second question. If Rust for Pujarvi was an option, why didn't the Penguins make that trade when it was available? To that end, I don't think that trade ever was available or know why. That's, again, people just throw stuff at walls, especially hearing a rumor that Edmonton might be looking to move their young winger. But 
if you look, Edmonton right now is $1.5 million under the cap, so they can't trade a guy who doesn't have a contract right now for a $3.5 million contract in Brian Rust and be under the cap. Um, they would need to send something back to the Pens, and the Pens don't want to take anything. So that's why I think that deal doesn't go down, first of all. Um, the Zach Ak- Aston Reese stuff is interesting, too. I think the team... Kind of the attitude of the sense around him, I feel like they want to see more from him. I think they're you're never unhappy with a player who has injury issues, but Zach Aston Reese hasn't been able to stay healthy or in the lineup. And as Bo Bennett taught us, the best of avail- ability is availability. So you definitely don't want to be on the training table too much. And I think Zach Aston Reese right now is kind of in a battle with Dominic Simone for that last spot in the lineup, in the roster at least right now. Maybe they'll make a trade and have room for them both. So I I think he's going to be a guy who maybe some days is a healthy scratch, some days is in the lineup. But that makes it all the more important for Aston Reese when he gets that opportunity to play, even if he's fourth line playing eight, nine minutes. He needs to find a way to make a positive impact and do something that stands out, whether it's a big hit, a good penalty kill, a goal. I'd like to see a little bit more from him in terms of his playmaking abilities. I think if he could do that, then he could even get some shifts on the Malkin line as kind of the straight-ahead guy, but he has to show that he can move the puck and that he won't kill plays or or just hit the goalie in the chest with his shot. So I know the team wants to see more from Aston Reese, and I think the fans do too because he's a young player with some potential and some promise, and he has some skills, but he has to put it all together, and I think that's on him to have a really good season. So we will see what he has. All right, and our final question looks like it's coming to us from across the pond maybe from Tony Nakunin. Nakunin, sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I apologize, but thanks for the question. And Tony writes in asking, with the additional speed and youth this summer, do you think we can get back to the four-line domination? Uh, that's always the hope, and that's been my hope since they won the Stanley Cup in 2016. That's really, I mean, I know they rode HBK to success, but the way I look at it, constructing an NHL roster, and this is just one man's opinion, but four consistent lines of speed and skill is better than an outdated concept of grit and mucking in a corner. So looking at the transactions they made, uh, Dominic Cahoon, speedy guy, youthful guy, Brandon Tanev really showing his speed, apparently so much so to get a look in the top six. Alex Galchenyuk, he's young, has quite a shot to him. Um, Jared McCann, who was acquired last year, 22 years old, has an NHL caliber shot. Teddy Bluger, who looks to be cementing himself as the fourth line center. I see no reason why they can't get back to four lines of domination, provided everyone is healthy. I'm not so sure that this is one of the deeper teams within the last couple of years, but they certainly have the pieces. It's cliche, but as long as they have Crosby and Malkin, they have a chance. Their supporting cast, yeah, okay, it's taken a hit because Phil Kessel is gone. That is a guarantee. Replacing Phil Kessel with Alex Galchenyuk, it's obviously big shoes to fill. Brandon Tanev really was a nobody uh, in terms of Penguins, uh, Penguins fans' eyes before he was signed. Now he's getting a look in the top six with Crosby and Malkin. Jared McCann, he's only 22, 23 years old. Can he play... All 82 games, can he play with his speed speed and tenacity? Can he play a consistent across the board? So to answer your question, four lines of domination. 
as it currently stands, I'll say as it currently stands right now, they don't have four lines that can dominate. But if everyone is healthy and surprises me, if Alex Galchenyuk surprises me, if Jared McCann surprises me, if all of these young guys surprise me, they can produce offensively and talent is balanced throughout four lines, then yes, four lines of domination and a healthy Crosby and Malkin can get you into the postseason and they'll still have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Are they Stanley Cup favorites? No, but as long as you have a ticket to the dance, that's all that matters. You got to get into the dance, then you can do whatever it is you want. Uh, I would like to thank everybody who sent questions for our mailbag segment on Twitter. Um, I hope I answered them. I hope Jimmy answered them to the best of our ability. Like I said at the start of the segment, we want to make this a consistent feature this season on the Pennsburg podcast. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to listen to us. We really appreciate you sending in questions for us to answer. And as the season gets underway, and as more topics are, are become available to talk about and more news stories develop, I think it's going to be an incredibly fun ride for the next 82 or so games. So with that said, Jimmy, do you have anything else left to add before we get out of here? No, that sounds good. Um, join us again, I guess, next Thursday and every Thursday. I think the new episodes of the podcast should be dropping here soon. So that's exciting to look for, and we'll try to get some more great guests for everyone and, and bring the insight. And, yeah, thanks for the questions, and keep them coming. If I think we got to most of them this time around, but if we didn't, send it again or send us a new one, and we'll be happy to talk about it. Absolutely. I echo everything that Jimmy says. Get every get new episodes of the Pennsburg podcast for this season every Thursday morning. I know last season the schedule was a bit inconsistent, uh, but every Thursday morning from this point forward, check your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. I believe the Pennsburg podcast is on all of the major streaming podcasting platforms. So every Thursday morning, check your podcast um, I don't know if it's a podcasting inbox, but check your podcasting app. You will get new episodes of the Pennsburg podcast every Thursday morning from this forward on. But for Jim Rixner, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pennsburg podcast, and we will see you next week.